it was hard for us because we we wanted to leave our jobs to become essentially glorified rubbish collectors. At the end of the day, that's what we were doing. We were leaving our job to go pick up rubbish. Um, so that was a hard sell for our families and 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 for our employers. Um, and I I think they were pretty skeptical at first um, about our decision. And we we had people people whose opinions we value and people that are close to us telling us that we should probably reconsider. That was Daniel Smith talking about the challenges of taking the leap to leave his public sector job and start an off-profit. Dan is a 28-year-old social entrepreneur based in Byron Bay, who is a co-founder of Clean Coast Collective, a non-profit lifestyle brand committed to cleaning up our oceans. And Clean Coast Collective aims to stop plastic pollution at the source by selling modern plastic-free alternatives. And the profits from product sales um, then help fund massive beach cleanup expeditions in remote Australia. To date, Clean Coast Collective has removed over four tonnes of coastal pollution. Dan and I talk about navigating your path to impact, how to deal with burnout, making the right decisions, and we also talk through some ways to find fulfilment and how you can find what it means to you. I hope you guys enjoy. Great. Thanks for joining me today, Dan. I really do appreciate it. That's right. Nice to be here. Yeah. Great to have you. Um, so, just to start off and give everyone listening in a bit of context about um, what you do now, um, yeah, just a bit of an overview, overview of your work. Yeah, cool. So, I run an environmental organization called Clean Coast Collective uh, and our focus is uh, in the area of ocean pollution. Uh, so, our, our two sort of focus points in that space are on source reduction. So, we're trying to eliminate the amount of plastic uh, pollution that uh, exists uh, and then that way we're stopping plastic at the source and stopping it from getting into the ocean. And then on the other end of things, we um, we conduct large-scale beach cleanup expeditions and that's to actually get the plastic pollution out of the ocean. Uh, so, yeah, those are our sort of two focus points and I run the organization with my partner, Natalie, and we've been running for about four four years now. So, yeah. Yeah, Dan, definitely really interesting uh, later on to talk about how you came up with the idea for Clean Coast Collective and made the transition into that. Um, but why don't we just start out from the very beginning and um, get a bit of an idea of what your child was like, where you grew up, and yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, so, tell childhood i mean i i spent my childhood in a lot of different states uh because my old man is in the defense force so we moved around a fair bit so um, oh. sort of spent a lot of time living in north queensland brisbane sydney um all over the place and then uh, i actually finished up school in brisbane and and then ended up studying in canberra um and during that time I, and growing up, I wasn't, I wasn't ever really any sort of environmental activist in any sense. Um, I wasn't really chaining myself to trees or anything like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was quite opposite, really. I mean, I, I enjoyed the outdoors and respected the outdoors, but I wasn't particularly involved in studying it or yeah. uh, seeking to protect it in any major way either. Um, yeah, I was sort of brought up 
um, pursuing the more traditional sort of um, employment opportunities. Um, and so I went on to study commerce and arts um, at uni and, yeah, sort of went down a pretty mainstream sort of path that way. And then um, after studying at uni, I got into a graduate program in the public service in Canberra. Mm. Um, and, and it was actually during that time that I was spending a lot of my weekends and spare time with my partner down the uh, coast of, south coast of New South Wales and we were hiking into uh, some of the more remote beaches to escape the crowds and find some, some waves to ourselves. Um, and it was actually on those hikes that we, we started noticing bits of rubbish washed up along the shoreline. And that was confusing for us because uh, it seemed counterintuitive to what you would think, where yeah. you would think the rubbish would normally be. So you'd normally think it'd be in the more urban areas, whereas we were finding these huge, um, chunks of plastic and bread crates and oil drums in, in really remote places. So, um, that got us curious about what, why it was there and how it was getting there. Uh, and so we, yeah, we jumped online and started doing a bit of research about it. And that's when we found out about marine debris and the extent of ocean pollution and how it was pretty much destroying the places that mm. we were both going to, uh, recharge and, um, and escape in our own sort of way. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of was the trigger. Um, and then once we, once we knew about it, it it became it became pretty tricky to sit at our our desks in our public service jobs, knowing what was happening and feeling that nothing was really changing about it. None of our friends knew yeah. about it, um, and so we kind of got we kind of got a bit itchy and and felt like we needed to do something to contribute and um and 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 spread the message about what was happening. And so um, we spent. We spent a little bit of time saving our money and then we decided to set off on a, a trip around Australia. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we bought a, bought an old four-wheel drive and, um, and set off around the Australian coastline. And the idea was to try and check out how bad uh, ocean pollution was around the entire Australian coastline and talk to as many different people and see what was happening in different towns and um, just get an idea of what was happening in Australia with the mm -hmm. issue. Um, and that, yeah, that kind of was the, the next step in it. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I think, um, something interesting that you touched on as well was that going through high school and, um, university as well, uh, you didn't really engage in the activism and the advocacy, um, that you do now. Um, mm. and I think, you know, a lot of, uh, young people growing up as well, um, they do see issues that, they they generally care about, but they don't really have that uh, sort of motivation or in, uh, passion for any particular issue uh, to act on it. Do you think that mm. for you it was sort of the lack of passion or the lack of um, a knowledge and a way to go around solving the issue, or just a lack of the awareness of the issue as a whole? Yeah, yeah, good question. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't particularly interested in activism. Uh, I I didn't see it as the as a solution or an approach that really suited me, but I was thinking of activism more in terms of protesting. Yeah, that's kind of the only activism I really knew about, uh, making a stand um, in that sense. Yeah, which, yeah. So that kind of, that stuff never really appealed to me. I didn't really 
consider it a good way to do things. Mm. Um, and I, I just didn't feel very confident at doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it didn't. It wasn't really on my radar when I was when I was growing up, but um, I think part of it was probably meeting my partner because she was a bit more involved in the not for profit sector and um, and sort of my interactions with her were were what really shaped the decision to take, to go down this path. I think, yeah, um, because definitely everything everything up to that point wasn't heading in um, in the direction of any sort of environmental activism i'd say yeah no that's it's it's always really interesting to um hear people reflect on on that because i think a lot of um people listening in will think that you know you guys were going through something something different or you had different circumstances um which is why you've been able to go down the path that you have um but it's it's Mm. really just we all go through the, the similar stuff it's just i guess we have different experiences that yeah. help us shape ultimately where we do go yeah exactly so i mean it is really interesting in that sense that you don't necessarily know what you're going to end up um pursuing um and how you're going to end up in that space as well so it's just about being open to the things that come to you in your life yeah. i suppose um and really my life before that and in some ways still my life um is so is is very much a you know a polar opposite of the environmental space. So I'm actually yeah I'm an, I'm an accountant by trade now, and so um, it's funny to live these two different worlds. But maybe people think about it as like you you start out you're, if you're in environmental if you're in any sort of environmental space that you grew up caring for the environment, you studied environmental mm-hmm. science, um, but really it's not so much like that anymore. Um, People are blending stuff all the time. So just because you might be studying one thing doesn't mean that's what you're going to end yeah. up um, doing for the rest for of your sure. life. For so. sure. And another thing that um, stood out to me when I spoke to you before was how, um, you know, you mentioned you went back to your job in the public sector, uh, but you just, it didn't feel right, you know, going back to your job while knowing that um, there was this issue going on. Um, a lot of people, I, I'm sure, feel the same when they you know maybe go overseas and witness um poverty in another country or or like you notice um pollution and litter sort of around Mm. but don't really then go to take those steps to take action on it um i feel a lot of us will just continue especially if we've got um something really good going on with our careers um just continue down that safe path and maybe you know donate to an, an organization that's working on the issue what sort of made you take action on that rather than yeah just supporting someone else yeah i mean i think part of it was certainly that i wasn't happy in my situation you know the public service wasn't it wasn't particularly fulfilling for me at the time and i didn't see it as a long-term place for me so i think there was definitely uh, movement coming from that side of things uh but then the other aspect is uh not being satisfied with the solutions that were out there so the organizations that already existed um and uh they didn't really appeal to my my partner or i so we didn't really want to get involved with those but we wanted to still do something and so um we we thought that we could perhaps offer an alternative solution and and try to approach things differently so yeah it came out of a 
those two aspects, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, looking at yourself, you've seen both, um, you know, the public and the private um, sector and how effective each of them are in creating a, a positive impact individually and also sort of together. Um, what do you think about someone who wants to make a difference and is looking to find, you know, what their path to impact is, whether that is, you know, social enterprise against not-for-profit, which is, you know, a big sort of debate going on at the moment, um, or even sort of systematic mm-hmm. change, you know, looking at um, getting into changing the structures and the systems. Yeah, I mean, I think they're all, they all have their own merits. And I think it's just about choosing which one you feel most comfortable with and which you think is the most effective. So as I said before, protesting and um, the old school sort of environmental activism, it doesn't suit me. I can't, I, I can't yeah. see myself doing that. Um, so I didn't head down that path. Same with, say, um, policy work. Uh, it didn't, it, it seemed slow to me. It didn't seem exciting. Um, and so I didn't go down that path. I ended up going down the, the sort of more not-for-profit and social enterprise path um, because it seemed to play to my strengths more and what I felt comfortable with. So I think it just ends up being what you're comfortable with and what you see as being uh, the best Yeah, solution. definitely. And what do you think about sort of not-for-profit um, and social enterprise and comparing the two um, for someone that, you know, like yourself, sees um, an issue and doesn't see the right solution out there, um, but it's a bit conflicted in terms of whether they, you know, what sort of path of action they're going go to take. Yeah, do you mean in terms of whether they choose the not-for-profit structure or yeah, the exactly. social enterprise structure? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is a tricky one. As you said, there is a bit of debate about it. Now we, we're seeing so many more social enterprises pop up every day. Um, and I think it kind of depends on what, why, why you're getting into whatever issue you're getting into. So if you're simply, if you're simply wanting to run a business and you want to, you want to contribute to an issue because it's beneficial for your business, as in it looks good, you might get more customers if you say that you're, donating X amount of money to um, some organization, then I don't really think you should go down social enterprise or not-for-profit. You should just be a business that's donating money. Um, Because when you talk about social enterprise and not-for-profits, what's getting lost as we see more and more of these pop up is whether people are actually having any impact on the issue that they're trying to address. So if you're giving $100 a a month to an organization and then you're able to keep telling everybody across your advertising that you're contributing to an issue or a cause, I mean, how much impact are you actually having? How are you changing what's happening in regards to that issue? So, uh, yeah, I think that if people want to get it, involved in this space they need to first consider what impact they're trying to have and whether that and then figure out which structure is going to allow them to have the most impact because yeah i mean yeah if you want to have a business and then have a business um and then use it to benefit something but don't i don't think you should yeah um 
start out at the at the other end of thinking or, or, or sort of suggest that you're doing something beneficial when really your your main your yeah. main interest is is running a, a business so yeah i think people just need to figure out which what, what's motivating them first to start with and then decide on the structure from there um because for us we're we're a not-for-profit even though we we look like a business in in terms of our advertising and aesthetic um we are a not-for-profit and that's because we want all the funds that we raise to go back into the issue whereas with the social enterprise model um it, they're, they're separate things so the the social enterprise model essentially you're a business but then you're donating um a percentage of your income to a separate organization that's doing something good so your organization in itself isn't necessarily the one that's creating or, or um carrying out the change you're donating yeah. money to an organization that is um so i think there's going to be a lot more discussion about this as more and more of, of the of, of the of businesses claiming to be social enterprises pop up um and there'll be more and more discussion about how much impact they're actually having um and whether it's the best way definitely so, and i i think yeah. um yeah it's it's always interesting to reflect on sort of what your true intentions are you know we can all get caught up in the noise mm. and the hype of you know these buzzwords like social enterprise not for profit you know making your impact like that um but ultimately if intrinsically you're not feeling um passionate motivated to make a meaningful change and address that issue um sort of need to reflect on on why you're doing it and maybe what you can do different mm. yeah exactly and i think it'll come out eventually it's going to come out what your what, what your true intentions are if you're not particularly passionate about an issue and um that you're contributing to but you're doing it out of a sense if you're doing it because you feel obliged to or for a marketing benefit then you're going to get sick of it and it's going to come out in the end so yeah i think that's why it's good to identify what you're actually what your intentions are and what what your actual motivations are in in pursuing whatever um yeah, cause you are definitely so. um and so I know that the uh, transition, you know, from working in the public sector towards starting Clean Coast Collective Up uh, was definitely not easy by any means. Uh, I can imagine, you know, having to go from, mm. you know, a pretty safe, pretty safe job to starting up your own not-for-profit. Um, you would have faced some challenges from not only your co-workers, but probably friends and family as well. Um how did you go around feeding through that, getting the support that was right for you and the, the feedback mm. that was right for you and then making your decisions mm. based on what you really thought mattered? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's not something that's talked about that often or, what, you know, what you're actually giving up to pursue mm. whatever cause you're pursuing. Um, and it was it was really hard for us because, being, I mean, the public service is probably one of the safest jobs you can you can possibly get, and um, and 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 good pay and everything. So um, it was hard for us because we we wanted to leave our jobs to become essentially glorified rubbish collectors. At the end of the day, that's what we were doing. We were leaving our job to go pick up rubbish. Um, so that was a hard sell for our families yeah. and 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 for our employers um, and. I 
I think they were pretty skeptical at first um, about our decision, and we we had people people whose opinions we value and people that are close to us telling us that we should probably reconsider. Um, and so that was really hard to work through. It's like a, it throws doubt into your mind about whether you about what you're doing and and all that sort of stuff, and makes the decisions even even harder. Um, but I think what it came down to for us was a discussion about yeah. what we would regret doing. Uh, and when when and I I still use this approach with, with any difficult decision that we face day to day now. Um, it's just a question of whether you will look back and think, what would have happened if I'd taken that leap or made that change? What, what would have happened? And I think it'll be harder to work through that question and have to deal with that question, the what if, rather than dealing with the consequences of whatever happens if you do take that leap. So um, in, in, in the context of Clean Coast Collective, it was a case of asking, well, if we leave the public service, what's the worst that can happen? Um, or if I stay in the public service, what, and, and then two, three years from now, will I ask myself, what if I'd, what if I'd yeah. left and gone on a journey around Australia? What if I'd done that? So if you think about it that yeah. way, it actually makes a decision a lot easier. Um, and the reality is like, no matter what decision you make, like there's, you deal with it. So, um, you, you yeah. find your way in the end. You always find your way in the end. So it's never really, it's good to, it's good to think about them and, and, um, critique what your decisions are. But at the end of the day, whatever yeah. you, you do, you always work through it. So, and I wish I'd, I, I think that's a good, um, a good point to note for young people. And what I'd like to have told my younger self is, yeah, yeah, don't worry for sure. About it. You'll figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point um, that you make there. And I'm interested to know as well. I'm sure you've had a lot of, uh, you know, really big and important decisions that you've had to make along the way. Um, have you found that that sort of stayed true um, in terms of the decisions you've made throughout from starting Clean Coast Collective to now? Yeah, 100%. And it's gotten easier. It's gotten much easier to make those decisions because now I have the, I have the evidence yeah. to – to trust myself so um we took the lead with clean coast and it, and it worked out okay and then now in other decisions that i've had to make in the years that have passed since then i can reflect back on that experience and say to myself look everything worked out fine and it was actually for the best so um it it's it makes it a lot easier then to make decisions in the future knowing that you've got that that proof of the past so yeah, it's definitely. I definitely, definitely. use the same. Yeah, I think I think it's, it's uh, really important to know as well. Um, that is something that's applicable, you know, across the scope of things. Um, you know, whether you're just starting out or whether um, you're right in the middle of things, uh, it's always like good to reflect and and look back on that hmm. and make decisions that are right for you. Um, yeah, and that, that feel like right intrinsically. Uh, and I think what that also comes down to, Dan, is you know, finding what what will fulfill you. I think when you talked about reflecting on, you know, whether you're going to think two years down the line, um, you know, about not not going forward with Clean Coast Collective, 
um, and staying with your public service job and, you know, how that would make you feel. Um, and you mm. were feeling a lack of fulfillment, as you mentioned, you know, working through the public service at that stage. Um, and so what does fulfillment sort of mean to you right now? Yeah. So fulfillment for me relates to how I'm going to feel at the end of my life. So am I going to, am I going to reflect on my life uh, and, and think back to how much money I've earned or um, what rank I achieved in some capacity? And I don't think that those things are, are really going to provide any consolation when you're at the end of your life. Um, so I think that for me, fulfillment has come to being able to think about stuff that's bigger than yourself. So money and um, and uh, rank or whatever you want to call it is, I, I don't think those things are going to be particularly important at the end of your life. Um, and I don't think, I think they're very individualistic. So I think that's why they're not important at the end of your life because I think um, when you get to the end of your life, you look at how you contributed in some way yeah. um, to things that are bigger than you, that are outside of you. So fulfillment in my mind is, um, yeah, what contribution have I made to things, yeah. to improve things um, that are outside of myself? Um, and so trying to improve the environment is just happens to be what, what – um, yeah, what I've chosen and, um, yeah, I mean, it can be as simple as just, uh, being a good person in as best way as you can to the people around you. That's, I think that's yeah. probably, would probably give me the same sense of fulfillment as well, because again, it's something that's not to do with me. It's about how I'm, um, helping other people. So yeah, I think fulfillment just comes from thinking outside of yourself. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you started off with a really good point um, and a great starting point for finding fulfillment, which is, you know, making right, the right decisions and, um, you know, really talk through uh, about what you personally have done um, to make mm -hmm. those decisions. What do you think are some other things that people can go around in, in terms of finding, I guess, maybe what fulfillment means to them, um, but in general, mm -hmm. you know, finding that fulfillment in the life and the work that they want to do. Yeah, I guess that's a that's the the big question, hey? How do you find yeah. what is going to make you feel fulfilled in life? <laughs> Bit of a subjective um, question as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I still I still think it just comes down to um, to finding out ways that you can help others and then just yeah. by default, you end up finding, I think, what, what is fulfilling to you. So, yeah, I think just putting yourself out there as much as possible and offering yourself, your services to mm. other people is probably, probably one of the best ways, really. Um, I mean, yeah, other than trying to have as many experiences as you can, um, I think it is, like you say, it's pretty subjective, but, um, I think it's a, it's a good starting point of finding out what's important to you is by um, trying to be of some benefit to other yeah. people. Yeah, I, I think that's um, 
yeah, again, a really good point that you make. And I guess when, when people do, you know, go down the path of trying to find that fulfillment that they want to trying to find the success that they want to see, it can kind of lose track of, you know, again, the important things of, you know, why you're doing it. Um, and really the burnout around that and trying to address, I'm sure you would have faced it as well, um, you know, starting a, a not-for-profit from the ground up. Um, did you find that, you know, burnout and, and working too hard and I guess not taking care of yourself um, was, an, was an issue? Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, and, and we still face still face it uh, in a way today. Um, but I think it came, it, it's, a, it's a result of trying to juggle a lot of different things. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. when you, because our not-for-profit isn't our source of income or anything like that, it's still very much a side project. Um, yeah. We've had to juggle paid employment as well with our not-for-profit. And, yeah, that creates so many challenges because, yeah, your time is only, your time is limited. So, um, yeah, we've had to work pretty hard and we've, we've felt pretty exhausted at times and have, and have had so many moments where we've wondered whether, whether we should call it quits and why we're doing what we're doing and whether there's any point to it and, um, seeing our, our friends get ahead in other ways, you know, people start buying houses or having families and settling down and you start to wonder whether, what, what the point of, all this hard work you're doing is when you're not getting any sort of um, direct benefit from it. Um, and so I think in order to avoid that bitterness that comes with that, uh, you have to you have to be very aware of burnout as a thing um, and then and then implement um, strategies to make sure that you're not gonna end up burning out basically. so um, yeah, so ways to do that are, I guess, one, like giving yourself some time away and downtime from your project. Um, there is, especially in that startup uh, phase, like there's, there's a lot of pressure to just be going flat out and, and not, not um, taking any time to relax because every minute you take to relax, someone else is working and getting ahead of you. Um, so I think trying to, Avoiding that mentality of rush, rush, rush and um, work, work, work is, is probably a good start, knowing that it's a good idea to give yourself some, some rest time. Uh, and then the other point is probably uh, valuing your time and acknowledging that your time is um, important. So especially for us as a not-for-profit, it was – it was very much about um, not giving ourselves any money and making sure that all of the money that we generated was going back to the project so that it could have as much impact as possible. Um, and that can cause issues in that you're, if you're not looking after yourself, then you're not looking after the not-for-profit. So um, being able to value your time and then give yourself what you need to survive and, um, again, avoid that bitterness is super important as well. So, um, in particular, in the not-for-profit space, where it's expected that you, it's expected that you just work for free, basically. You know, if you look at all the the wages of CEOs in not-for-profits compared to the private sector, they're tiny, absolutely tiny. Um, and that is because there's this, yeah, there's this understanding across society that um, not-for-profits is all about volunteering. Um, 
And I think that's a, a bit of a trap in many ways because, yeah, you're not going to yeah. get the best work out of people if you're not paying them. So, um, yeah, you have to make sure that you're looking after yourself first, um, both uh, in terms of like mental health, uh, physical health, but then also in terms of um, financial health. So um, yeah. nothing's going to happen if you're not if you're not looking after yourself. So yeah, being aware of being aware of that that it, that it happens and that no one is immune to it um, is really important to avoid getting to the point where you burn out and then um, things go bad for the whatever initiative you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, yeah, I, I haven't really had to deal with. Um, too much burnout just yet i think it's sort of um sort of creeping up <laughs> on me now as i i've got a few more things to do um and personally just reflecting on what you've said yeah. <laughs> reflecting on what you've said i think um yeah i can take a lot away from it i'm sure you know whether someone's starting their own business yeah, yeah. or whether they're having to deal with university and a few jobs um you know burnout can can sort of mm. creep up on you uh, either way and, yeah. yeah and you'll find it you'll definitely find it i mean with this podcast you're you know, yeah. giving out your time um so yeah you'll the more that the study load creeps up yeah you'll definitely you'll definitely start to feel the pinch so yeah be ready yeah well I'd, at least i'm aware of aware of ways to yeah. deal with it now. yeah yeah totally <laughs> yeah uh and just before we finish up dan you know if there's any way for people who are listening in and you know that might want to reach out to you or uh follow up with the work that you're doing what are probably you know some of the the best ways to to go around doing that yeah uh so people can jump on our website that's probably the the best way to find out what's happening and and then on our instagram as well so those it's cleancoastcollective.org on internet and then just cleancoastcollective on instagram and then we put all our information up on those too so you'll find out what's happening and find out ways to get involved awesome um yeah the very very last thing i'll ask is uh you know what's next for you what's next for you clean coast collective on anything else that you you might want to do yeah so i mean we're we're sort of just in a growth stage now um we're just trying to settle in and um continue to focus on the things that that we're strong at at the moment and that's um our online store uh, and then our trash tribe expeditions. So we're basically just trying to build on both of those. Um, so yeah, I think that's what's probably going to be in store for the next little while. Just adding more beach cleanup expeditions and, um, and building on the, the online store. Yeah, definitely look for, looking forward to seeing it all develop. And, uh, you know, I know you've already made some, some pretty good impact in the work that you guys are doing and, uh, looking forward to seeing that continue. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, mate. No worries. Thanks for joining me. No worries. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening in. I do want to ask you to please leave a review for this podcast. Um, One, it really helps with being more visible on people's feeds and whatever podcasting apps they use so more people can benefit from the discussions we have. And also, let me know what you think, like whether the stuff that we talk about is actually helping you. And if there's any other topics you want to hear about or any sort of people you want to hear from. Thanks for listening and hope you guys have a good week ahead.